Beer is awesome, but sometimes the world of beer can be intimidating. As a team of four women with diverse points of view, from our cultures to our roles in the industry, we're here to share with you the real faces behind the bubbly, crispy drink we all love, and yes, really all drink. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Do You Even Drink Beer? Um, I'm Sydney. I'm Andreina. I'm Breeze. I'm Ayana. Um, cool. Uh, good to see you guys again. It's been um, a while. Nice to see you I too. I know. I haven't seen, we haven't all been together because I was, you know, had a sinus infection for a month. Is that what it was? Mm. Yeah. You, yeah. You really get sick a lot. I, yeah. <laughs> oh it's it's not really cute. Like, it's yeah. It actually just really sucks. I feel like the last month I've been like, Ayana, you're still sick. I know. Please get better. But it's so nice to see you all <laughs> in the yes. flesh. It's good to see you happy and healthy. Yeah. Back on your feet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, some of us have some big beer-related life changes. Sydney, what's new with you? Cool. Well, as has been established, I was in the warehouse for a, a little over a year. Um, but recently, after much persistence and pestering, Mm-hmm. polite pestering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just not letting them forget about me mm-hmm. there were some personnel <laughs> changes and now I'm a seller person Yay! a seller woman um so that's cool that started recently um it's almost exactly as hard as I thought it would be um and also in some ways easier and in some ways harder so Sydney I kind of never really know what I'm doing Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Yeah. And then I, I go, can... I go, wait, wait, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. There you go. So, yes. Yeah, I agree. That's every brewer, every yeah. brewer. I know. I think um, that's what I'm learning is that no one really knows what exactly is the right way to do things. So I'm getting a lot of conflicting information. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they said when I started was, you're going to get a lot of conflicting information. And I yeah, said, that's okay, pretty cool. standard. And then it was yeah. true. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore because I can't figure out what's real. And no, I was like, off I yeah. go, I know what I'm doing. And they were like, don't do it like that. And I was like, someone literally earlier today told me to oh do it God. like this. So this happens a lot. So my biggest, uh, uh, like my advice for you is just, just get the information. It's okay that you're gonna hear it six times. And then you're going to end up doing it your own way that works yep. best for That's you. That's how I was tell you. Because yeah. I, like, I, when I would be training people, I'd be like, do it this way because this is the safest way and this is, like, the most convenient. And then as soon as they started getting more comfortable in their own, like, in their own space, in their own realm, I would look over. It's like, I didn't say that at all. But you're doing job, it. Yeah, their job is getting mm-hmm. done. Works, They're doing yeah. it, mm-hmm. like, safely in their own way. And I am not going to pass through that aisle to get yep. to the other tank because... They are busy, busy doing their own thing. So just, well, the reason there's personnel change, this is the big news. So yes, I did leave my last place of employment. I was there for about four years and I, my last day was September 28th. And I got to be honest, I, I was a little bit nervous about having to turn in my, my notice and having to say my goodbyes, but there was something that felt really complete about that. It's almost like you have completed this part of your chapter it's time for the next one. And that felt so like a beautiful like closure that I had within myself as I was walking through the cellar hallway and looking at my coworkers and also other departments like, holy shit, I've been here for four years and the things that I've seen and things that I've learned and the things that I have just allowed to 
let happen so that I can continue that growth. And I'm really happy with what I was able to build there. I am really proud of the spaces that I was able to create for, for women, women of color as well. And leaving means having to see what's next for me. And I have to be honest, I, it looks great. So. You should be excited. I'm extremely excited. It's, it's been a really great, it's been a really great journey. And I love this kind of, I love the fact that I can just throw myself into the unknown because I've already done that and it very much worked out for me and I just mm -hmm. want to keep going and I want to keep learning about myself and what I can do in the industry. So I'm really excited. Uh, what about what about you two? Um, my team has gotten really small, <laughs> so I've had to oh. <laughs> pick up a lot of work, which is great though, because I, the imposter syndrome always tells me like, you don't know what you're doing and you, this is not really your job. But now I'm like, oh no, like mm -hmm. this is my job and I have to do this. And even if I kind of don't know what I'm doing, I kind of really know what I'm doing. Um, but it's, it's been tough, but it's been good. I think it's shown me what I'm capable of. And it showed me that all, like the past two years in my apprenticeship has really, like I've proven myself to be promoted, I guess, in a way. Um, it's been scary, but it's been good. And the support system is incredible. I feel like I, yeah, it, it was, it sucked at first. I mean, it's only been like three weeks. Um, it sucked at first, but I'm doing it, I guess. I surprise the, myself every day. Are you on the brew deck now? No, no, no. I'm okay. just like a whole ass seller person. <laughs> yeah, I'm like an entire ass seller no, person. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Because yeah. I was no an apprentice. Yeah, apprentice. I was an apprentice for like a year and a half. Okay. And then I like stepped into, you know, I was like, all right, well, now you're a solo person. And I was like, sick. And then like three people left, two people left, which is, is my first time. Right now is my first time working on like a five, four to five person team. I'm used to like six, seven, eight people. Mm. And now I'm like, oh shit, like I really got to like, I'm, I got to do this. Like I really have to, instead of being like, mm, I can go home. I'm like, no, I have to check carbs. I have to check this and check this and check that. And then I can go home. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I've, you know, I definitely have, <laughs> you know, I'm definitely working a lot more, but it's more fulfilling and it's, I know the energy is really nice and everybody's super supportive, which is really, really nice and like different. And I'm just feel so grateful to be on the team that I'm on with the people that I'm working with. It's just like, it's a dream boat. I mean, it's always been a dream boat, but being on a smaller team is difficult, but I'm making it work. <laughs> So it's, I mean, it's great. It's great. I just, you know, trying to step out of the imposter syndrome and being like, all right, you, you, know, you know what you're doing. It mm -hmm. took me like two years of working at a brewery to like not have imposter syndrome. Yeah. So it's, you're almost at, uh, wait, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you're, almost at your, you're almost at your two year mark. So, yeah. you know, next week, boom, over. Yeah. 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 Imposter syndrome who? Well, you know, you know, something that happened yesterday is that at the end of my shift, my coworker came to me who is part of the opening team, and he came to me and said, hey, you know, I just, I want to tell you something. Like, you're killing it. You're doing so good. And I was like, oh, stop. Take it back. Yeah. No, no, stop it. Stop it. And he's like, no, 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 you're doing a great job. And I kind of just needed that mm -hmm. because I felt like, I mean, I don't know, you know how it is. Like, you go into it and you're like, I love this and I really want to do it, but can I do it? I yeah. don't know. So it, it meant a lot to hear that and for someone to tell me that. So... I mean, it's been great.
it's nice when people go out of their way to tell you that you're doing a good job when they don't have to, but it also is important to learn that you can just take it. You can just say, thanks. It's like a compliment, right? You don't have to deflect it. You can just be like, thank you. I know that. And that's going to be useful. And something else that happened is that we brought on another lady of color, which is really nice. Um, And I've been like training them, but I'm also like, girl, don't listen to me. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm also like, no, wait, I know what I'm talking about. And it's just like weird for someone to come up to me and be like, hey, how do I, how do, I do this? And I'm like, me, you're asking me? <laughs> Why, Why are you, you asking me? me? Why would you ask me? I'm just a baby. Do <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. No, but it's, it's been sick. It's been, yeah, it's been awesome. I love hey. that. Yeah. So that, that's it. That's all that's up with me for now. <laughs> My cheeks are hurting from all the smiling <laughs> from just hearing you tell that. That's great. That's great. Um, Ayana? I don't have anything. Oh. <laughs> what? You have, like, there's not, like, a plant that you bought, um, a new recipe that you're trying? Um, well, just came back from Snallygaster, um, mm. the best festival that is currently around. Shout out to Tim Liu for Tim Liu. just... You do an amazing job. Yeah. Love DC. you so much. He just, he's fantastic. He's such Best a, organized he's festival. He's a good human, yeah. Um, yeah, that, I've poured there a few times. Um, I think this was my third or fourth time pouring there. And every time it's been great, you know, and it's always interesting to see, like, the difference between, you know, your brewery's reception from year to year and how that changes just based on, like, the climate or... Um, do you have distribution in that area now? Um, and I felt like this was our most like successful year pouring there, um, which was awesome. Uh, and yeah, I was like asked to be on a panel about DEI, mm-hmm. which was, um, I will say the, the, the person who led the panel, so it's going to, I think, be part of a podcast they did a really good job of moderating, I felt. Um, they made everybody feel really comfortable. They also did a really good job of filling the time, which is like, that is a very important like role to fill when you are having a conversation with five people, four to five people. Um, but I was definitely a little bit nervous about doing it at first because I, I think part of it was that I wasn't sure, like, oh, can I what can I really speak to other than, sure, I have my own experience as an individual, but am I able to contribute anything to this conversation about how do we, how do we improve things on a, you know, on a larger scale outside of myself? And it ended up being fine. It ended up being good. I'm really glad that I did it, but I had a lot of anxiety going into it. I also initially was the only person of color who was going to be on it and felt weird about that. Um, Not because I felt like I was being tokenized or anything, that was absolutely not the case, but I, it just felt, I didn't wanna be, you know, whenever, whenever people of color or minorities of any kind are in, you know, an environment where we are that one person, we are representing everybody. And, and that was, that was the position that I did not want to, that I felt nervous about being in. And thankfully um, there was another person who joined the panel who 
was also a woman of color and I didn't have to carry that burden by myself even it wasn't asked of me I think it's just been time for us to talk about DEI in this industry and like how I kept saying in our in our group chat I I truly believe this probably might be like the most diverse podcast episode talking so about DEI because of the people who are in this room right now and we have a special amazing fantastic human being joining us today for our I'm gonna call this like a roundtable discussion yeah episode is that cool can we do that yeah we can do yeah. whatever we want <laughs> so yeah. right. we can do whatever we want <laughs> uh so I'm gonna let this human being introduce himself after we get like the music going is that cool all right DJ Before we get started, I just uh, I want to do this thing that we do, which is we drink beer when we talk about That's what we're right. drinking. So That's what we have in common. Oh, yeah. um, I want to go ahead and introduce <laughs> our guest and then talk about what we're drinking. So, mm-hmm. guest, introduce yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Rafael de Armas. He, him. Um, I'm a brewer. I'm currently working at KCBC, which is the beer that we are drinking right now. We're drinking their uh, Polish Pilsner and their Czech Lager, which are very two really delicious, good beers. Um, and thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, it, it's even though I haven't said a word yet, it's been a <laughs> lot of fun listening to to you talk about uh, your perspective and your experiences in the beer industry. So I'm really happy to be here and be part of this conversation. Wait, whoa, okay, you're very modest, sir. Um, Rafael de Armas, did I say that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not only a brewer, yeah. but he is a Michael Jackson Foundation Scholarship Awardee. And he, oh yes, clap, yes. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he just completed his program in, where was it again? Munich. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> Ever been? It's a little town in the south of Germany. <laughs> and so him coming back to the States after his program, he works, where do you work now? At KCBC. Absolutely. Right here in Williamsburg. Absolutely. Yes. So I'm really proud of you. You're fantastic. Again, uh, being a board member for the Michael Jackson Foundation and just seeing your growth and knowing that you're one of the awardees and seeing where you are now, I'm just, I'm really happy. Thank you. Thank you, Raisin. In fact, um, my interview for this scholarship was actually with you. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and, and Garrett Oliver and Trey Parker. And to me, it was so, like, to the, to the second in which the interview started, I, I just could not believe that I was going to be on a, um, Zoom call interview with both Garrett Oliver and Brice Galindo. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so the thing starts and, and I keep seeing these faces and it took me a second, it took me a minute to actually realize that yes, this is happening and having a conversation with them. People that you admire in the beer industry and then you're just trying to break into this industry and then you're engaging in meaningful conversation with them. It was like really... Really cool. It's a great experience for me. It was a really awesome experience for me, too. And you did a fantastic job. And to add to your accomplishments, I I believe we're now board members together, right? For a different organization? Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, we are both part of the national board for the Chicago Museum. 
And you know, it just so happened that this week is their um, Beer Culture Summit mm-hmm. in Chicago, which unfortunately I could not attend. It would have been fantastic to be there in person. Uh, but they're, they're still having their online sessions, and their sessions are incredible. Like, yeah. um, I invite anyone listening to the podcast to go and see the lineup of people that Liz Garibachi and the Chicago Brazilian has managed to put together. It's um, some amazing panels. Yeah. Well, it is an honor to be a board member alongside you. It's going to be uh, a fun ride trying to see what we're going to be able to do with this organization. And um, yeah, congrats. You are amazing. And again, so happy to have oh, you here with us. Thank for you. Thank you so much. Um, trust me, uh, the, the honor is mine. Mm. Well, with that, I'm going to just go ahead and. Um, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so cheers. Cheers, salute. Cheers. Are we all drinking the same thing? Uh, I think we are. No, no. Well, I'm, oh. we're all drinking KCD. Cheers. Except for you. Yeah. Sorry. Sydney, what no, are you No, you're drinking a really good beer. Yeah. No, yeah, I wanted to um, try this because I wanted something darker, but it actually turned out to be very sweet. So it's yeah. brewed, in, it's, it's brewed by Hirachino in yeah. Japan, and then Be United is the importer, and they... Uh, they take beer from whatever country and they ship it over to the United States in temperature-controlled tank containers. Then they package it on site at the United in Oxford, Connecticut. Gotcha. I oh, used cool, to work. Cool, I used to work for that is the distributor so cool. that I, I sold. Be United. Oh. I sold their portfolio in addition okay. to many other things. So yeah, Brianna, I just love the shit that you know. It's just <laughs> yo, she's <laughs> so full of information. Like, talk. The shit that you okay, know wait. Is so so uh-huh. this yes. might be worth keeping in, but actually, the way that Be United, so the way that T, uh, wow, yeah, Tipo Pills is brought to the United States. Um, it also comes over in this temperature-controlled container, and while it is uh, mid-journey over the Atlantic Ocean, they dry hop it. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's crazy. Are Yo, you serious? I'm serious. You've been keeping this from us. You know what? <laughs> Wait, I all you had to do was ask. <laughs> I love living in the future. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing this since like 2018, earlier, wow. 2016, 2017. Yeah. It's on a ship. Mm-hmm. That's funny. If they just flew it, it would just go faster. They wouldn't have to do that. <laughs> no, I understand. But this makes, <laughs> <laughs> this makes for a cooler story, as you yeah, can no. hear. It's a whole temperature thing and pressure and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it's so funny because you know do we get like the famous story about how IPAs came to be and dry hopping and all of the road route to India, which it's turned out not to be um, true. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's not true? Um, well, we can, we, can, we can talk about it <laughs> in another opportunity, but yeah. Um, it's half true. Okay. Well, like, yeah, like most it. things in beer history. history. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it's so cool because when, when you buy Orval in the United States, they ship it from Belgium with a different label than what they will sell it at in Belgium because of all the uh, transformation that happens from the moment it leaves the brewery and it's packaged right. to when it gets to the States. And then it has actually a different alcohol percentage and a different mm. mouthfeel. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, uh, but, but they, they managed to have that work done to the second so that they know, even within all the uncertainty that comes with brewing and shipping and temperature differences and drops in pressure and whatever, 
that they have a pretty good guess of what their final alcohol content is going to be. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Merida, Venezuela, which is a college town up in the Andes. And I spent most of my childhood in Merida and between there and the west of the country on the Caribbean coast, a small town uh, called Carupano, which is a tiny, tiny little town. And most of my family on my dad's side are from that area in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So between Margarita Island and uh, Paria Peninsula, which is the first place in which uh, Columbus arrived in when he actually touched the continent. Mm-hmm. It, um, and on her, his fourth voyage, I think, um, he hit that peninsula, which is a beautiful place. Um, both those places, both Merida and Carupano, Merida being in the Andes and you know high altitude and snow covered mountains in the middle of the tropics and the Andes, beautiful place. And then the other side of the country, Carupano and Margarita Island, they just, one, it's a island, paradise island on the Caribbean coast. And the other one is such a luscious um, green place with the Caribbean coast right there, so. And por qué cerveza? Like why not like coffee or wine or spirits? Um, <laughs> yeah. Because um, your I, knowledge is amazing. Like, I, I love how much you know about about beer and brewing and that whole process, but well, why that and why not? That, that That's thanks in big part to the MJ Foundation, who sent me to Munich to learn about beer. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, so in my previous career, I worked on elections, corruption, and democratic backsliding. And that meant that I had to travel a lot throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. That meant that I needed to get to know and understand the political context of different countries at different moments of their political history. So I was having meetings with people in academia, uh, political parties, NGOs, media, artists, and so I had a lot of freedom to set my agenda in terms of um, whom I got to talk to in the country that I was at. Um, and because we all have our own biases, I skewed toward people who I thought might give me a different understanding and perspective on their countries that um, conventional wisdom will have you know otherwise. Um, so most of my conversations that ended up getting me to understand a particular crisis or a particular country happened when the transition between drinking coffee to drinking beer occurred. Hmm. So for me, beer has also meant um, the opportunity to get to experience someone else's country and someone else's um, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time in a very meaningful way because if you manage to make that transition from coffee to beer um, you get to learn something about the person you have that conversation with along the way now if that conversation goes from coffee to beer to coffee then you have a problem <laughs> 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 you will also learn a lot of things <laughs> 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 
Um, and I started homebrewing and, and I did that a couple of times and and I got to experience something that was really um, good to me that was sharing my homebrew with people who enjoyed it and then we will drink it together and just have fun. That was that was also really good. Then uh, I went to work, uh, work and lived in Honduras. And that meant I spent almost two years there. I was going back and forth between Honduras and DC like very often, once every two, three, four months, I don't know, um, as, as, as often as I could. Um, and well, I, I, I started homebrewing again in Honduras, just second, getting the ingredients here and taking them back there. It was a good way to pass time and, and to brew beer. Um, and when I came back from Honduras, um, I had already made like the decision that I didn't want to do what I was doing before, and I want to do something else. In Honduras, I was working uh, in an international mission against corruption and impunity. And the mission had a mandate to go there because there was the killing of a very prominent human rights and environmental activist named Berta Cáceres. And also, Honduras is an extremely violent country and extremely corrupt. And um, and uh, so the killing of Berta Cáceres meant that eventually the pressure that social movements and people protesting in the street put on the government was so big that the government was basically forced to come up with the solution. And part of that solution was establishing an international mission against corruption and impunity based on a similar model that the UN has done in other countries with what they call transitional justice. But wait, I'm deviating too much from, yeah. from, from why, it's why okay. beer. We can always edit, so it's completely <clears throat> fine. Sorry. It's completely fine. Um, I have so many questions about and, <laughs> other and, jobs. And, and I think the problem for me is that uh, Honduras and that type of, that line of work carries, I mean, depends on you also, but it can give you it can put a lot of heavy burden, burdens on your soul if you let that things affect you personally. And I know people who are really good at this line of job, who are doing really cool things and really meaningful things because in a way they're able to shield themselves from the reality in which they're working at and the personal stories that people are sharing with. I couldn't. I still carry the faces that of the people that I talk to that went to jail, um, have been threatened or had to leave the country or are going through very difficult situations. So I was not able to keep doing the land that, that what I was doing. How long, how long, how many years from you doing that to you, uh, applying for the scholarship? Um, about three, four years. Okay. Because I, I left Honduras in 2017, okay. I think. And you applied for the scholarship, what year? Was it like 2021? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And being in this, uh, in this industry now, having, you, like, having changed careers, having to change careers, and now you're doing this, I feel like you, like day and night shifted from 
all of that like mental stress, all of those experiences that you were going through, and now you're in an industry, and now you're in a career in a in a craft yeah. where it has nothing to do with that. So, do, how do you feel in terms of like, do you feel lighter? Do you feel more at peace? Do you feel more like what's what well, are you like? How do you describe like your mental health and your current state of happiness now, having that shift? Um, it, it's been wonderful for yeah. me. In, in, in a big part of that is that the more I've learned about beer, I've seen uh, the cultural impact that beer has had throughout civilization. And when I started reflecting on beer from a political and cultural point of view, I found out a lot of information about things that are really cool if you are into history and politics and culture and 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 I in tremendously enjoy the fact that you're we, all of us here, are doing something that has meant we as a society, as a species, have been doing for a long, long time. So and, and every single culture on earth has a version of this mm-hmm. or this, exactly this. He's pointing to his beer. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that you're saying that part like culturally because a, a big part of this podcast is to focus on the, the culture side of beer. And, and it's something that really isn't touched on very much. And what I love about what I what I love about what we're doing with this podcast is really pointing out what is important, what should be talked about, and what should have a light shined on. I feel like with the craft beer industry, there's like this notion of like beer shouldn't be political. Right. You know, like beer should just be beer. Beer should just be a product and that's it. Just brew the beer and that's it. And you see it in the comments, right? Like you mm-hmm. see it in the comments on social media. And that's why I felt uh, not, I mean, like Sydney, it was Sydney's idea to talk about DEI today because of just us focusing and kind of noticing of the, of the shift in the industry with trying to promote more DEI in breweries and at festivals and at conferences with the, you know, with a keynote speaker or having a guest speaker or having workshops on it. And it's interesting with the amount of workshops that I've been to for conferences for DEI the rooms aren't full. Mm. They're like not even half full. You, a, a room that can fill 150 seats will maybe have like 30 seats. But the attendance of that conference would be like over 500 people, brewery owners and distributors and all of that in, in these conferences and even festivals. So I feel like us talking about DEI today is extremely important because we have our views and we're not brewery owners. We're employees, right? Yeah, what are your guys' thoughts about DEI in this industry? <laughs> I feel like the people that need to hear what we have to say don't make space to hear us a lot of the time. So I feel like when we create spaces with people of color and women of color to talk about their experiences, we're never speaking to people that need to hear it. And they never show up for us. It, it feels like talking to a brick wall. Why do you think that is? Because they don't want to hear what we have to say. Because yeah. it's not relevant to them. And it's not relative to what they do and how they move through life. Hmm. They can move through life however they want while we have to kind of like play chess. 
they can't relate to that. So why would they hear us? And in a way. also it would make their lives a lot more uncomfortable if right. they actually put themselves in spaces where they would have to learn. Right. They as in, you know. Dang it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's the reason why the rooms aren't full at the conferences and why it can feel like an echo chamber. The people who are showing up for DEI conferences are the people who care about DEI, which are the people who typically are the ones who want the diversity, equity, and inclusion because they are in need of it. Anyone who already fits in doesn't need the diversity. I mean, they do. Like, that would help Mm -hmm. everybody's life, but... Right? Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like people don't look hard enough in the industry to get people of color to talk about their experiences kind of going back to why Yana was saying earlier yeah, yeah or they don't like I think work hard enough to get people from more diverse backgrounds right yeah. to apply for those jobs in the first place one of the things that we were talking about <clears throat> in the podcast like panel that I was a part of was you know what are some effective strategies that breweries can use to you know, have a more diverse staff to be more inclusive and um, something that I had mentioned and uh, another panelist had mentioned that the the cidery that he worked at was also doing was to have more entry-level positions that are also apprenticeships, you know, so these, I think, very valuable, like, points of entry for people to uh, come in maybe with, you know, no experience or very little experience um, and... You know, a lot of people from more diverse backgrounds have been excluded from the industry, you know, historically. So they're not going to have experience when they apply for a job necessarily. Uh, But to have these uh, positions that provide a lot of education, a lot of upward mobility. um, And it is actually better for the company overall because it improves employee retention. You know, if, if you're generally promoting from within and you show that you're willing to, like, train people from the ground up. Um, I think that that means a lot to employees and that also when people are applying for those jobs and they see like, oh, this person has worked here for five years and they started filling, you know, cleaning kegs and now they're a cellar person or a brewer. Um, I think that that even makes the, the space itself feel a lot more accessible to someone who might not otherwise have an in. Um, yeah, I also feel like marginalized folks... Um, need to feel job security like we need it you know I feel like if you enter a space and you feel like you're not gonna last too long or you're scared or you know like you're gonna leave or you're gonna feel like you have to leave and I feel like creating like promoting from within and creating that job security is more important for marginalized people because then they feel like oh I'm good here and I can grow here and I can stay here they don't feel like they have to go at some point because they necessarily feel like they can't do the job or they're not getting paid enough or what have you. I just think it's important for people to promote from within always, especially for entry-level jobs like you were talking about because it just encourages people to work, to stay, you know, not try to find another way to survive because the reality is that a lot of us operate on survival mode. What's next? What are we going to do now? How can I make more money? How can I pay my bills? How can I pay my rent? How can I follow my dreams in a way, you know? Yeah. It's tough. It's tough to do all of that and then feel safe. (laughs) I think also it's 
having to be consistent. What, what, I ex what I've experienced in previous breweries is like, we're gonna do this program where it includes the, like the internal focus of our employees and we're gonna have a internal employee like meeting once a quarter where we're gonna talk about everything that would benefit you guys and we wanna hear you guys and then we'll have one and then just would never hear from them ever again. Never have another meeting. Right. There's never right. a second meeting. And and I'm just and it's like when there's no consistency there and there's questions like, wait, are we gonna do this again? Like I thought we were gonna do this every quarter. I thought I right. thought we were gonna do this. Also, why was this topic even mentioned at today's call? Like we shouldn't be hearing this. It should be the people who are the problem that should be hearing this entire workshop that we just sat through for 45 minutes. And so it's always like it's not always, but when when the company is not consistent, then the um, and the employees follow suit. So if you're trying to change, I, I think culture is also a really big uh, a really big key factor with DEI, and um, to be able to shift the culture where it comes from it comes from up top, and then it trickles down. I think that's what's also cons like that's what it's also extremely important. Where if the culture changes, then that means that it, it's also important to them and it means something to them. And that's where the consistency happens. And that's what I wish we could see. But I feel like when it comes to us being asked to speak about DEI and what we think is important, my answer is almost always in order to change, in order to change the industry, then ownership really has to step in and take accountability and also along with accountability they have to also f not suffer the consequences but there are consequences to not to not not encouraging or embracing or, or including or having DEI be a part of a company and I think there was like this 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 like stat that I saw I was like listening I was listening to TED Talks the other day and <laughs> This one fact came up that in 2045, the minority will be the majority. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. Like that's, like that's happening, right? In the United States, you mean? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So why not? So that means like, like breweries, brewery owners right now, step out into your tap room. Who are your consumers? What do they look like, right? If they, if like, 20% look Caucasian and the rest are all people of color, then that's probably a sign to start sh changing up what your, what your employees look like, what your company looks like. If your, if your company is 80% Caucasian and 20% people of color, and maybe like some women sprinkled in there. You're doing something wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, I can't change that in a company that is not mine, and you guys can't either. We can, be, we can use our voices and we can be very vocal about these things. And yes, we can email them and we can send it to like the, what's that? It's like that, um, that anonymous link that was sent to us that we can like, that we can fill out and let them know what we would like to see. But at the end of the day, like, is it actually changing? Do we actually see it? Where are they hiring from? And like hiring from within, most of the time hiring from within, hiring from within is, <laughs> is the mainly white men from, I'm not hiring, uh, promoting. Let me say that again. Sometimes promoting from within consists of white men within that space right. that are filling those roles, right? 
And I've, out of all the breweries that I've worked for in, in my career, I have always been the only person of color and also the only woman in that production facility. Not front of house or anything, because I did come from LA, so the front of house was predominantly Latino and Latinas, but mainly in production. So if, if there is no consistency there and there is no intention with their purpose, then nothing's, just gonna, nothing's gonna happen. So we can all be asked to speak at panels and lead panels for the next six years, and I feel like it'll just like fall on deaf ears because mm -hmm. it's not, we're the ones that are willing to change it, right? We're the ones willing to be a part of this change, but if ownership that is very much predominantly white men aren't willing to do it and stay consistent, then it's gonna be the same thing every single time. And that's, I'm a big, I'm a big, like, I'm a big championer. I'm a big, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big, like, I love to, that's why I love to champion those breweries who are of color that are opening their breweries. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, I, I definitely big time support Zara from Back Home Beer, because not only is she a woman, but she is also born in Iran, and she's also getting this thing off the ground and she's that in terms of DEI, like boom, like there you go. And that's fantastic. And she has her own method of being able to go about creating her brewery. And of course she's making it political because that's what's important. And if DEI isn't gonna be practiced by ownership, then we're gonna just keep seeing these panels mm -hmm. and these workshops falling on deaf ears, I think. I'm curious for um for breweries that like Say you do open up the doors and you've hired people of color, women of color, like it's so much more than just hiring practices because there's also the question of retention that um, you're talking about. And mm -hmm. I, I wonder what it would look like to have a workspace that truly is inclusive and like fosters, so, like, so that you don't feel this outsiderness in this space. So maybe you've hired a person of color, maybe two, but there still might be this sort of culture in a place, especially if it's always been white before, always been male before, or straight. And so it's like, what does it look like? And I don't have an answer necessarily because I haven't necessarily ever seen it. What does it look like to have a space that also encourages people to stay. Yeah, because let's and make belong. let's make one thing extremely clear. Diversity and inclusion, they're not the same. Mm -mm. Yeah. So diversity is a numbers game mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in, like inclusion is about impact. Right. It's about both yeah, all three things. Yeah. I mean, I think that you know, a lot of what we're actually talking about in terms of like, why do brewery owners not do X, Y, Z's? We're talking about economics. It's not, a lot of people don't understand, just see it as an economic issue. Like, well, why would I spend my resources on and, the, and extra time to look for more diverse applicants and then when they get in the door, spend more time and resources to make them feel more comfortable? Like, if you are a business owner and time is money and you're trying to get as much bang for your buck out of your employee hours, it, diverse people are not necessarily gonna be the most profitable in that way if you're trying to create a really inclusive environment. Um, the reality actually I think further down the line is that 
the more you invest in your employees, the more profitable it is later on because of employee retention, having a good employee culture that people want to be a part of. You know, if you have a really high turnover rate, you are spending, as a business owner, you are spending so many labor hours on training new people on the hiring process like it is actually a huge waste of money and a huge waste of time to treat your employees like like shit mm -hmm. it right is not bottom line is you know for for a somewhat specialized industry that requires skill and training um it, it it's actually in the long term it's more profitable to really invest in your employees at the at the beginning and and invest in creating a company culture that is good and healthy for people and that is not just focused on you know on the profitability of the company obviously you need to make enough money to get by but when that's your only focus at the expense of like the wellness of your employees like you're going to suffer down the line that that's just inevitable that's such a good that's such a good point and i also think that goes back to what breeze was saying about the tap rooms too of the demographics of who's drinking the beer is like, I don't think a lot of people, and maybe I think like kind of, I've noticed maybe macro breweries figured it out that if you're not catering to like not only 50% of the population, which are women, but also like just diversity in general, you're just missing out on a huge huge amount of people. It's a really big part of why I choose to always pour at festivals whenever I can to represent the brewery I work for is just to make other people feel more comfortable. Yeah, Yeah. like if you you cater... I want to be the woman pouring the beer so that when people come up to us, they just... So that, that someone... I know that someone out there... I mean, it's been... People have said it to me many times, like, oh my God, wow, can't believe there's a woman here. Like, you talk to me like a real human being. Oh, my God. Also, I like to feel like, hey, I brewed it, and I get to pour it at these festivals. Oh, that's what I said at the festival. Oh, everyone, yeah, well, when we were both pouring at Snallygaster, there were, well, in general at festivals, you know, there's always the question of, like, oh, do you actually work for the brewery? Because a lot of times there are volunteers. But, damn, people are really, like, not, they ask you, like, twice when you're a woman and a person of color (laughs) if they're like, wait, you, you work there? Oh, well, so you work there. You, what do you do? Yeah, you you make the beer. You yeah. you actually make the beer. If if we really want DEI to happen, then the best place to make those changes is in the workplace. So, and the reason why I say this is like, you do your own thing outside of work, and you guys all do your own things outside of work, and so do I. But I think the workforce consists of 162 million people who do the same thing every single day together. So we like... The workforce of beer or yeah. generally? No, no, just like in general, like okay. in terms of, cause it's not like just DEI like in the industry, but it's DEI across the board where what we do is we all do the same thing. We come in, we clock in, we do the work, we clock out. Mm-hmm. And that's where we all do the same thing across the board as just people who work. And in order for there to be a huge shift, regardless of how much like we're adding to it, if the if the companies themselves aren't being um, if aren't being intentional with them trying to change it within their companies, within their employees, then you won't really see it as much like out there in the real world. And I feel like when we when the intention is to like not only educate but also practice that education that's being learned, then there'll be more of a like a result 
that you'll see within the workplace because then you'll start seeing that culture shift because it's we're all doing it now in the same workplace and we're doing it at, at my company, you're doing it at your company and you guys get to do it at your companies and you, we're all learning the same thing, which is like DEI. So we were all work at companies where it's not only uh, we're, we're going through that DEI, the DEI training program, but also the intention is to also practice it and that there will be consequences if it's not being practiced, just like how there's a consequence for you coming late to work, right? There have to be consequences for Accountability. the... Accountability. Yeah, right, for the DEI that is being taught because it, the amount of money that's being spent on just DEI training, but it ends up failing because it's not even being used or practiced in the workplaces. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was thrown into... I was thrown into like a, a management training program and we only did it for like maybe six weeks because nobody was being consistent with the, with like the homework that was given to us. We weren't even doing the homework. It wasn't, and there were no consequences to not doing it. And the company was paying God knows thousands of dollars for us to be trained by like this management company that's worked with other breweries. But in terms of success rate, I called the other breweries. Success rate, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Everything was the same. So the companies can say, like, we're, we're paying, we spent $46,000 on DEI training last year. Yeah, that's what we did. That's great. Can we go ahead and talk to all of your employees within your company and ask them if they feel like it's been successful with all the training that they've been given? Can we go and talk to your employees? Then can you think they can answer us honestly and say that they're not only being heard, but they're being seen too, and they're being empowered, and they're being invested in? And do you think they'll all give us the same answer, that yes, absolutely, this has been fantastic, or do you feel like it's going to be like, everything's the same, nobody's listening? That it, it, it's such a um, um, complex issue <laughs> that um, it really touches on many aspects of life in general and how we organize society, right? How do we allocate priorities and what do we reward at a society? Um, and very seldom throughout history, those changes come from a reflection of the um, establishment, mm -hmm. right? So it's, mm. it's, it, it, the initiative that are gonna work to change the culture of inclusion and diversity in our industry will not come from the programs that the industry itself is designing to um, change the industry. Because every systematic response that you get from a system in which a group of people have the most amount of power, there's a power inequity, the responses of that system to the demands of the population are from the logic and the perspective of those in power, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the changes that we're gonna see in the industry and the changes that we're seeing in the industry come from initiative of people organizing from the bottom up. Grassroots. Which oh, is one of the Riots. best things that has <laughs> happened in, 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 in the beer industry. And it, I think that also has historic roots. That like when, when you were talking about like, well, Brewers don't want to make beer political. I said, Dude, you you've missed out on what has happened throughout history. Like nothing is beer is yeah. beer yeah. is not only is beer political, but very few things are not yeah. not political. <laughs> yeah, and usually it's a privilege to be able to um, 
choose what constitutes a political and what not. When your identity, mm, yeah, yeah. When, when, when your um, culture, when your religion, your ethnicity, ethnicity is compromised by those inequities of power, you don't have the option to say, oh, no, just play ball. Just mm -hmm. brew your beer, mm -hmm. right? Because whether you want it or not, it's going to come back to hit you in the face. Um, and you shouldn't be in a position where you have to choose to be political, but consider it a privilege to be able to be political about the things that you believe in and that you might actually take action on them. Mm -hmm. Because that is not the case for a large segment of humanity. Mm -hmm. Damn. Well, on, on that, like, <laughs> no, it's, no, it's so real. Yeah, no, it's so real. And it was so helpful to have you zoom out a little bit too, yeah. like to have it sort of be in the greater context of like what diversity actually means, just for humans, right? right? Like we, it's not just industry. It's and, and then you have a very practical thing, and you see, uh, as, as, uh, to build on your comment, you see in the breweries that have actually made the conscious decision of invest. Seriously, on their culture, um, long-term success. Mm -hmm. So, you, if if you're gonna go and rationalize it because uh, you think you need to have a reason to invest in diversity, well, rationalize it in a way that is a good investment. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to rationalize it because it's a moral imperative, also. <laughs> but it it's a very um, difficult line to walk, right? Because you are operating on a capitalistic system, a capitalist society where you being able to own and operate this business depends on you being able to play by the rules of that system. Mm -hmm. yep. So you're constantly making compromises. Um, but the problem is when you do have to compromise, what are you compromising on? Mm. Because what you are compromising on says a lot about you. Mm. Yeah. Dropping gem. Now we're in the meats and the potatoes Wait, of this. Should we for get, real, for real. Should we get a fifth host? Like, <laughs> for real. You're welcome anytime. When I was in college, I did a lot of work on a specifically like orientation around like freshman orientation with like um, violence prevention and response and uh, like generally like rape culture and preventing sexual assault on campus. And it's true that shame shuts people down. And when you talk about people, say people are monsters if they do these things, um, people stop listening. The thing that we focused on, especially because we were talking to freshmen in college and trying to kind of get ahead of the problem, not that, not that it doesn't happen way before college starts, but um, we would talk about bystander intervention mostly, uh, being like an active bystander, what it, what it looks like uh, in order to prevent it from happening, violence prevention and response. So um, I learned a lot about being an active participant in basically just protecting people. And so when you see someone being like, who's too drunk at a party and there's someone who's not leaving them alone, you, 
there are steps you can take that can intervene and remove that person from a situation or introduce more people so it diffuses it without putting yourself in harm's way, without sort of having retaliation, which is a big Mm -hmm. issue with stepping in for someone. But what I take away from all of that and I've tried to do in my life, but also sort of ask others to do is like be those eyes for me as well. And I think we all know about bystander syndrome, which is just watching something unfold and thinking either someone else is going to deal with it or I'm going to get hurt if I'm in like, I'm going to somehow also be implicated or hurt if I do something. And so in the workplace, what I asked of my coworkers, especially when we were dealing with like, just like, these are like really micro things that would happen when I was in the warehouse of like truck drivers, like third party people saying real shitty stuff or like just generally being like disrespectful to me because they didn't know, they didn't expect to see me. And then they would say shitty stuff and, um, kind of asking my boss, especially to like, just notice those things. But also when my coworkers would say shitty stuff or like, disrespect me in some way it's like please just look for those things and say something if you hear it right like the only way that people are going to actually respond to it is if like it's not just me being like stop which of course and I was thinking this when you were mentioning Ayana when you were mentioning pouring at festivals and being like I want to be in front of people showing them that I'm a woman who works at this brewery there is a risk every time you're the person who is in the minority or in some kind of situation where you might be the one who could be hurt, also being the one who has to put yourself forward. And so, I mean, I guess I'm just describing allyship, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, because you mentioned me too, it made me think of that um, sort of in like a high stakes like crime scenario and so I think it can be like extrapolated into workplaces but just when you're not the one who's the most at risk also saying things helps with the greater dynamic in a workplace that like you're all on the same page which is why we need to have people in the room in those conferences and in those workshops in the workplace who aren't the people who are the ones on the front lines. We mm-hmm. need to have everyone on the front lines. Mm-hmm. The thing is, not everybody is going to be at the front line. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to be at the front line. And some people actually run away from it yeah. quite fast. Um, and, and I agree with, with what you said. My, my thing is, when you enter a space and you are the person who is most likely to be in a imbalance of power dynamic or at risk you are taking all those risks yourself mm-hmm. and because it's not an issue for other people they don't even perceive it as a risk yeah and they have no idea what is it like to be in that situation but no idea whatsoever it it and and you tell them how difficult that situation is for you 
And they're not going to tell to your face that they don't believe you. Sometimes they do. <laughs> or you'll be like, I yeah. never said that. It's like, no. Right. Right. No. Right. right. Um, or we'll simply dismiss it. Mm. it, it, it the best case scenario, they acknowledge it. And then later on, they acknowledge it that they did acknowledge that. And then that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, because my thought is like, great, that's where the education comes in. Because if you're teaching people not only this is what to look out for, but also these are the steps that you can take in order to not be like these are really reasonable things you can do to say something but the reality is you can teach someone so many times what to look for but that doesn't mean that they actually will apply that right and so it's like it's defeatist to say people won't which is why I encourage education in the workplace even though it feels stupid sometimes but the other thing is like that it's 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 yes and it can't be the only thing but hopefully like it's it's not just up to the people who are every everywhere they go they have to know that they're the only person of color or like the only person like them in that space because because one of the things that happens with systems of oppression and inequities um We're comfortable in them. And we're comfortable in areas um, where we shouldn't be. And then we get really comfortable at the areas in which we want to be. Even if that means um, shutting the door for someone after you. Because of that thing that we're competing for scrap. And then we also operate in a system that is constantly demanding us to um, take advantage of every opportunity. Right. Yeah, and I feel like also, I think among people of color, when we're like isolated in our you know, work environments or something like, you know, we have to fight extra hard to like stay in them. And the, and sometimes that, um, yeah, like, I mean, to what you're saying, but like the, it, it's not encouraged for us to look out for people other than ourselves a lot of the time. And I think it takes a lot of like, I don't know, it, it, it takes a, I, I don't know what it takes to like be able, like be comfortable enough in your work environment to be like, oh wait, I'm going to I'm going to not only look out for myself, I'm going to also like try to speak up for other people or I'm going to like keep an eye out for what I see happening around the workplace. But you know, I've noticed that even sometimes when <clears throat> when I've been in certain work environments and you know, another person of color who definitely also was used to being the only person of color in their work their previous work environment as well and there's a little bit of a you know, it almost feels like a competition and eventually mm -hmm. we realize that this is not a competition. We're yeah. not competing with one another, but I can tell that like where they came from was also an environment that they were like hardened in, you know, where they knew that they like, they were the only person advocating for themselves and they were the only person who was going to look out for themselves. And, and it takes a while to like let that guard down, I think. 
Um, to, to trust people in a system that is constantly pitting you against each other is not yeah. easy. Yeah. Especially because I mean, yeah. you, you, you get a lot of that, like, I'll do anything to, you know, advance my career. And it can be justified in people's mind, like, what you would do so. And the entry cost is very high. And the cost of opportunity is also really high. Like, a very limited amount of resources and opportunities. Yeah. So you have to be very strategic about them. And asking you to be strategic about them is unfair. It's so fucking annoying when people do have conversations like this. That, like... Because we've been right and we've been saying the whole time, like, oh, we need to have incentives and we need to show, like, not just, like, shaming people, but, like, why it, like, would help them to have diversity, equity, and inclusion in their company, like, for the bottom line and stuff. And it's just, like, you know what's also stupid? Um, what if you just, like, had fucking humanity? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, it's, like... Humanity doesn't pay the bills. Yeah, That's I was going to say, yeah. capitalism is at odds <laughs> but, with yeah. but humanity. You know but you know what's crazy is, like, there are companies owned by people of color. And I feel like they probably conduct, maybe not, but they probably conduct business with the intention of having other people of color there, right? And they're also making money. I'm sure. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Maybe not every time. And maybe yeah. they're not making money. But I'm just saying, like, white male owners are not the only people in, capitalist, in capitalism. Like, they're not the only people who own companies. So it's like, I just, there is another way. And the reason it's, like, they're we're just coddling them to be like, we have to... And I feel like I can say this because I'm just fed up with white people and it is like easy for me to say that because there's like, there's no retaliation. People mm -hmm. aren't going to be like, I mean, maybe that would be crazy <laughs> if people were like, wow, so you just like hate white people. We're not going to listen to you and be like, well, I mean, also a lot of people that I know are white, but like... To be in a position of power for, like, all of history and then to, like, just be, like, not try now when it's, like, fuck, I feel like I had something really smart to say and now I'm losing it. But, like, mostly I just want to say, like, how it is very infuriating to be, like, coddling people. And I just... I'm angry about it and I feel like we've been real diplomatic and I just want to say it and I don't think we can keep it in because it seems like that's not where we want to <laughs> be but I just want you guys to know like you can just yeah just be yeah. like well, well <coughs> there's a lot of hand-holding that yeah. you have to yeah exactly do. it's like oh well we should be like giving them reasons to want to do this. Yeah. What? <laughs> I um, think it's because that sits at, the, uh, at a very unique intersection. I've been trying to do it quietly. You go more into the mic when you do that. <laughs> I mean, it was bound to happen with beer and pizza. Like, someone's yeah. going to burp. 
sorry. Go ahead. Start and again. I think it's perfectly fine. <laughs> not only, not only not that, cool. I'm sure that would get, make a great promo for the book. <laughs> also. Um, the, it, I mean, talking about the, what a difficult intersection those things say that, right? Because you're talking about demographic issues, but also economic dynamics and power imbalances and how we are structured as a, like our society's culture like, around issues of race and gender and, and um, race, basically. Um, my point, it's, it falls heavily on marginalized peoples, the burden of the decisions that are now being taken, right? And also having to explain once and, and, and over and over again the reasons why this issue is important to you. Um, and it's really heavy that your own safety and your own concerns are not reason enough for somebody to take action, right? Like, like you need to prove that this is a life or death situation for somebody to find that important. Yeah. Um, and then when you, to, to go back to your point about, you know, um, people color ownerships in companies and how the power dynamics of the society are reflecting on their own labor practices, meaning they have to, like, you have to operate in the system, in the logic of the system in which you're operating, even if that sounds like um, contradictory. Um, so there's no way in which you can change the system from within. Any attempts at changing the system from within most likely will lead to your own assimilation into the power dynamics of that system. So that when you get into a position of power, you are expected to not be happy for the other Latina coming to the team. And you, in turn, if you have internalized the rules of the system as much as we all have had to, because they're right there from the moment we start going to school, um, and they're reinforced through media and to the, what, what constitute a history of success, right? Um, we see all these markers of what success is supposed to look like and what you're supposed to be wanting to do to achieve that success, right? Like we have romanticized the idea of doing whatever it takes to be successful, even if that at the expense of Morality. other people. Yeah. Or, and that should be a reason enough, the fact that it affects other people the way it affects it. But then you have to have your own internal conversation about how comfortable are you with accepting the power imbalances of the system in which you work, where you operate. So what are your choices? because they are very limited. And the choices that you can make that will truly have an impact on your overall freedom 
are very costly. And if you're willing to pay that price, it's absolutely worth it for you as a person. It might not have a significant impact on the system, but it has a compounding effect. And we all are standing on the shoulders of giants. And just be a part of that tradition. And some people are meant to make the sacrifices so that the next generation can do something better. And people of color know this all too well. So the future is ours. And it's up to us to build a better one. Because if we build the future by reproducing the dynamics of powers that once kept us subjugated, then there will be just a demographic change, but not a systemic one. And what we want is systemic change. Okay. So, so we need to make our own, I guess it's up to us, right? <laughs> We have to make our own future for ourselves and create our own spaces that stand, that abide by the morals that we actually like do as people, right? Like rather than operating within these yeah. spaces that are actually set up to subjugate us and, it, and hoping that like someone's just going to be really nice to us and give us that promotion yeah. and like, you know, yeah. let, let us work at that brewery. If I may, no, fuck your promotion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we want to change it for good. You're not alone in having that experience because I also experienced it as well. And like, I'm right there with you, you know, and yeah. to feel like you're not alone going through it really can get you farther than what you think you could doing it alone. So it's important that we have each other. Yeah. It's important for people to hire people like us so that we can all be together and we can, I don't know, it's just like, I don't even know how to talk about it without getting emotional because it's just like, we shouldn't have to fight for this. We shouldn't have to fight to have other people like us around us all the time in our workspaces that understand where we come from. They understand, I, I, I don't know. It's okay. Like what's wrong with giving us a chance? Yeah. yeah. You know, like what's wrong with giving us the opportunity and investing in us and teaching us and empowering us and... And allowing us to be there for each other in ways that our bosses can't be. If we actually have 86 brewery owners listening to us right now, wanting to learn how to do better in their own companies, what would we say right now? That's a great question. Hmm. Trust your employees when they talk to you. Ooh. Listen to us. That what they're saying is true. Yeah. And it means something to them. Yeah, I would say believe us <laughs> and protect us, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, like remember why you wanted them on your team, you know? Like actually value your employees because you wanted them there in the first place, 
you know? Um, we're not optics. We're human beings. Dude. Don't treat us like we're an Instagram post that's going to get you a bunch of likes. Mm. We're people. We love what we do. We have a passion. And let us do that. And believe us and listen to us. Because I'm tired of being viewed as like, not specifically me, but people of color being viewed as like this big ass optics game. Like, oh, I hate it. <laughs> so that's what I would say. Don't treat us like optics. Treat us like people. And treat us right. And be loyal to us because we'll be loyal to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think respecting, respecting your employees truly respecting them goes a really long way um and giving them oppor- like making sure that they continue to have opportunities to learn and and to grow and that you're not stymieing them like unnecessarily um you know if someone wants to get into like the barrel program figure out a way to make that happen Um, as opposed to just shutting them out of it because like, oh, well, we don't have space for that. You know, we don't know how this would work. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe you don't know how it would work. But if someone is expressing interest in, you know, in a part of your business, listen to them and figure out a way to, you know, turn that into an opportunity for them and ultimately for you as as the employer. but I think to, you know, yeah, continue to provide opportunities for your, uh, for your employees to, to grow and feel like their needs are being addressed. I think those are fantastic points. And if they are listening, I hope they're taking notes with what we said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rafa, gracias por todo. Oh, gracias a ti por la invitación. I appreciate you being here and telling us how you got here. And you're going to do great things at KCBC. I love that place and I love those people. And they're, they're very much going to make sure that you are on the right path to success. And I'm so happy that you're with great people. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for the invitation. It, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about all the cheese math for this. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And as for you, my three women... I love you guys very much. This was a really intense episode, but um, thank you for doing this with me. We write at dawn. (laughs) 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 (laughs)